Welcome to the Wesley House podcast. Join us each week as we delve into the inspiring sermons and discussions that resonate within our college ministry. At Wesley House, we're not just a community. We're a journey of faith. And this podcast is your front row seat to engaging sermons, thought-provoking conversations, and the vibrant spirit of our college ministry. Tune in, connect, and let the transformative word of God uplift your week. This is Wesley House. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, How you doing? Are we good? Good. It is so good to be with you tonight. Um, For anybody who doesn't know, I know I know most of you because I'm here on Tuesdays getting to hang out with you. Um, But I'm Elizabeth Hamill, and I actually work over at HPMC as well. I'm the education coordinator. Um, And that's like a fancy way of saying that I get paid to um, read this book and write about this book and teach this book. And I really love this book. And so that works out really well for me. And I consider myself the luckiest girl in the whole world. Um, It's the coolest thing ever. And so I'm just really grateful that Haley so graciously invited me to come speak to you all tonight. Um, Because I just love you and I love being with you. And before I was an HPMC employee, I was you. I don't know if all of you know this, but I am a recent grad not too, too long ago. (laughs) I was seated in those seats coming to the table every Tuesday. Um, This is where I grew up in faith. And so, big disclaimer, (laughs) if I say anything tonight where you're like, where did this girl come from? here. (laughs) The answer is here. (laughs) Um, And I'm just so excited. Tonight I want to talk to you about seeing Jesus for who he really is. It's something that's been on my heart a lot lately because I think there's a funny thing about us humans. Um, I think we have a real propensity to see what we want to see and not see what we don't want to see. You know this if you've ever met somebody and made a big assumption about them and you were flat out wrong. (laughs) You know this if you ever broke up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and thought, man, those rose-colored glasses are coming off. There's all sorts of things that I chose to focus on and chose not to see, right? We have this propensity to see what we want to see and to not see what we don't want to see. I also have a conviction that God is very jealous for you to see him exactly as he is. So tonight I want to tell you a story in two scenes, and we're going to talk about seeing Jesus as he actually is. So, scene one, John the Baptist. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Matthew 11, starting in verse 1. You can fire up your phone Bibles. Um, A little bit of context about John the Baptist. I bet you've heard about him. And if you've heard about John the Baptist, you know weird kid, eccentric guy, right? (laughs) He's a prophet. And if you have read any of the books of the prophets in the Old Testament, you know these tend to be some eccentric people. And John the Baptist um, was no different. He decided to live out in the wilderness by himself to wear clothing made out of camel's hair. That sounds a little itchy to me, but whatever floats your boat, and he uh, had a steady diet of insects and honey. Ew. (laughs) Right? So, clearly a very normal guy. (laughs) Um, He's an intense guy, 
with an intense message. So he's living this eccentric lifestyle out in the wilderness and he's proclaiming this message to anybody who will listen, to all of the Israelites, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he's starting this revival movement among the Israelites of repentance and he baptizes them in the Jordan River and they start waiting for this figure of the Messiah. And John tells them the Messiah is going to come and he's the one we're waiting for who's going to rescue us and bring God's justice. And so when he gets into town, buckle up because things are about to get intense. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to bring down the hammer, right? He's going to set us all straight. That's kind of John's vision of what's about to happen. And then Jesus one day walks out into the wilderness towards the beginning of his ministry and meets up with John, says, John, I want you to baptize me. And John is convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And he says, Jesus, I can't baptize you. I'm not even worthy to put on the shoes on your feet. But Jesus says, John, I want you to baptize me. So he baptizes John, and it's this epic scene, right? You've read the story. All of a sudden, Jesus is submerged in the water. He comes out of the water. The heavens open, and apparently the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove. And there's this booming voice from the heavens of God saying, This is my son. With him I am well pleased. Epic scene. Okay. There's a big time jump between that baptism story and where we're picking up. And by the time we meet up with John, he's landed himself in prison because he's angered all the wrong people. So... Chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one that is to come? Or shall we look for another? Did you catch that? Are you the one that is to come? Or shall we look for another? What John is saying is essentially, are you actually the guy? Are you actually the Messiah? Or did I get it wrong? Right? Remember when he met Jesus, when he baptized him, he was psyched. He was like, you're the guy. And this is it and things are about to get real, and everything I've been hoping for is about to happen. And then by the time we find him here, something has happened where his attitude towards Jesus has completely shifted, and he feels compelled to actually send out his disciples to say, did I get it wrong? Are you actually the guy? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Now, if I were Jesus, thank goodness I'm not, <laughs> if I were Jesus, I think I would be tempted to send a little message back to my friend John and say, um, okay, John, uh, did we forget about the whole, like, baptism thing that you saw, right? Remember when, when the heavens opened up 
and the spirit descended and there was that loud booming audible voice which was like the father giving me a heavenly thumbs up saying this is him this is the guy you are my son in whom I am well pleased ringing any bells John <laughs> that's what I would want to do Luckily, Jesus is a lot gentler than I am. If you pick up in verse 4, this is what he says back. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. And he gives this list. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Okay. Jesus is gentle. And Jesus is also the biggest Bible nerd. <laughs> um, I love many things about Jesus, but this is one of my favorite things. He has this way of taking all sorts of quotes from the Old Testament and putting them in a blender and spitting it back out. <laughs> and that's exactly what he does here. This response that he gives John is quotes from four different chapters from the prophet Isaiah, where Isaiah is predicting what's going to happen when the Messiah comes, right? So he pulls from these four chapters all of these signs that Isaiah talks about, and he puts all of that in a blender, <laughs> and he sends John this paragraph. And so the underlying message here of what Jesus said to John is basically this. John, you were not wrong about me. You were not wrong. I am the guy. Because what's happening? The blind are being given sight. The dead are being raised. The poor are having the good news preached to them. This is exactly the signs that you were told to look for. And I am doing them. I'm the guy. But it just doesn't look like you thought it would look. And he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Another translation says, blessed is the one who does not stumble over me. Here's what he's saying to John. I know you wanted the Messiah to come and bring down the hammer, right? A, a lot of what John and a lot of other Israelites would have been looking for was something a lot more violent <laughs> and a lot more like an army, a rebellion coming in and mixing things up than what Jesus does. And instead, Jesus is coming in, and he's healing people, and he's having dinner with people on the outskirts, on the fringes of society, and he's loving on people. And John's not really psyched because it doesn't fit with the picture he had in his head of what was going to happen when the Messiah came. Not to mention that John's in prison. Right? And Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything to get him out. So I, th I, I can see how John would be wishing that there was this great leader who was going to take this place by storm. And that's just not how Jesus is doing it. 
I am the guy, Jesus says. It just doesn't look like how you thought it was going to look. Okay, scene two. The road to Emmaus. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 24. I'm going to be starting in verse 13. For this story, we are fast-forwarding way ahead in the timeline to right after Jesus is resurrected. Right after Jesus is resurrected. And where we're meeting up with the story is um, after Jesus is crucified, two of his disciples are out on the road, two of his followers. And they are so disheartened because this guy that they had just been following all around, hoping that he was the Messiah, just like John did, was crucified by the Romans. So Luke says this, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking um, and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? One of my favorite things to tell people about the Bible is that um, sometimes it's really funny. <laughs> and sometimes there's like really thick irony and the author is being clever and being witty and it's okay to laugh, right? This is a funny situation, yeah? These two disciples, they're so heartbroken because Jesus was crucified by the Romans. They feel like everything they thought was going to happen, their, cream, their dreams are crushed. And then all of a sudden, this guy starts walking alongside them. And do they see Jesus? It's kind of a trick question because, like, they see somebody. <laughs> they know there's a guy walking there, but they for some reason, their eyes don't recognize that it's him. And so Jesus has a little bit of fun with this. He doesn't let the cat out of the bag too fast, right? He comes up alongside them. He's like, hey guys, what you talking about? <coughs> and they are just incredulous. What do you mean? Like, are you the only person who doesn't know what happened here? Are you serious? You really haven't heard? Jesus keeps up the bit, right? <laughs> he says, what things? <laughs> right? This is funny. The irony is so thick. And so they start talking about him and they say, well, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I mean, can you imagine Jesus just trying to hold back a laugh and keep a straight face as they're telling him the news when he's the news? <laughs> but for some reason, they don't know that they are walking step 
by step with their rabbi right now. I think they show their hand. Did you catch what they said at the very end? It's verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They're not expecting to be walking beside their rabbi because in their mind, Jesus had failed. They are not expecting (laughs) to be walking beside their rabbi because in their mind, Jesus is now a dead prophet that they had high hopes for, but a dead prophet is no use (laughs) for what they wanted him to do. Right? When they say we hoped that uh, Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel, that word redeem, immediately in their minds, I think that they are linking back to the story of the Exodus. And it's Passover time. And so the Passover is when we celebrate the Exodus. And do you remember what happens in that Exodus? When God redeems his people Israel in the Exodus from the bad guys at the time who were the Egyptians, Redemption means God squashes Pharaoh and he squashes the Egyptians and he breaks the chains of the Israelites. And so just like John the Baptist, I think these guys are saying, we thought that he was going to redeem Israel and what they thought that meant was that he was going to squash the new bad guys, which is the Romans, and free them from being under Rome's stem. And what's funny is that they had been around Jesus for a long time when he kept talking about how I am the suffering servant king who came to die and give himself up. I'm going to be the one who will be killed and raised in three days. He had been telling them over and over again that this was going to be the plan. But they were so stuck on their priorities for the Messiah that they missed out on what Jesus' priorities were. And Jesus' priorities are going after an even greater uh, oppressor. I mean, forget the Romans, (laughs) right? When Jesus offers himself up to die, He's not thinking about liberating them from a temporary oppressor. He's thinking about liberating them from the chains of sin and evil that have been holding them down and all of us down since the Garden of Eden. Jesus has an even bigger picture redemption happening. He's going after an even bigger type of chains, an even bigger type of oppression. But they couldn't see it because they were so pigeonholed into what they had always hoped that Jesus would be. Are you tracking with me? Yeah? Okay. Here's the thing. I think it is so easy for us to look at these two stories, to look at John the Baptist, and look at these two disciples and say, guys, tisk tisk, that is so lame. <laughs> why didn't you get it? And why can't you see that what he is doing is everything you want and more? Right? The temptation is to look at them and say, 
man, you're missing out because what he's doing is better than anything in your wildest dreams, anything you would hope for, any version you had of what the Messiah was going to do, Jesus one-ups that times a million. <laughs> and it's true. And then all of a sudden, if you're anything like me, you get the sinking feeling that you have to laugh at yourself because I so often am just like them. I have a sneaking suspicion that you probably are too sometimes. I think we all have expectations of Jesus, of who we want him to be, of what we want him to do for us, what he should be like, how he should help us, how the way that he transforms the world should make my life into what I want. I don't know, if you're anything like me, I find myself just like John the Baptist, just like these disciples, with a whole different set of priorities for Jesus than Jesus' priorities are. I think there's a serious temptation to look at the story of Jesus and cherry pick the things you want and the things you don't and to say, Jesus, you're getting on my bandwagon <laughs> and we're going in my direction and you're fitting into my plan and here's where we're going and I'd love it if you'd comfort me and I'd love it if you'd cheer me on the sidelines, <laughs> but here's where we're going. Instead of realizing that I'm supposed to be getting on Jesus' bandwagon and heading in Jesus' direction and letting Jesus' priorities completely remake my priorities and let Jesus' dreams totally become my dreams. And I revolve around him instead of him revolving around me. I don't know if this resonates with you. I think that I so often I'm so tempted to miss out on what Jesus is actually doing because I am so focused on my own priorities for Jesus instead of trying to make his priorities my priorities. I think a really good barometer for if this is you is if your spirituality has started to get really comfortable. I know that's not fun to hear because Jesus is a comforter. But seeing Jesus as he actually is, is so often not the most uh, comfortable experience. It's actually a lot of times something that really shakes you up because it's humbling. Right? I mean, this is the same Jesus who said really crazy things to us that sometimes we don't really want to think about them actually being true for us. Like, if you want to be the most influential person in the room, you're actually going to lower yourself to the bottom and be a servant for all, and the last will be first. This is the Jesus who said, if anybody wants to follow me, you will take up your cross. This is the Jesus who said that if anybody wants to gain his life, he will lose it. This is the Jesus who said, all of your treasure here that you collect and you hoard and you store, you can't take it with you. And the only treasure that's worth having, the treasure that 
people should sell everything they have for is the kingdom of God. And I don't know about you, but when I actually think about living my life in a way that reflects those words, it is not comfortable. <laughs> and it doesn't look like how I want it to all the time. Lest I seem too preachy, <laughs> um, I just want to end with a story about how this has affected me recently. A few weeks ago, I was in the car on the way to a therapy appointment, and I was talking with God about a situation that I have prayed to him about probably a hundred times for over a year. The same thing that I've been asking him to fix for me, to solve for me, to make happen for me. And for the first time in so long, I felt like he answered. And the answer was this. Elizabeth, I know that you will go where I'm taking you. But this dream that you're holding on to so tightly, the thing that I was praying about over and over and over again, is not going to get us there. And I need you to let it go. And that's a gut punch, right? And I got to my therapist's office and I was sitting waiting for our appointment to start and I wrote this on a piece of paper. Jesus, I have a sneaking suspicion that no one gets in on what you're doing by keeping their own priorities intact. And so, if you want, you can humble me. I just want to learn to trust you more fully, to see you more clearly, to see the world like you do. Forgive me for clinging on so tightly to the story I've written in my head of what the best future looks like instead of asking you for yours. Thank you for your gentleness with me, for patiently waiting. I am in for the journey you're taking me on. I read you that to say, if the process of holding up our priorities against what I know of Jesus' priorities and reorienting myself around him is something we graduate from, I have not yet graduated either. And so if you hear me talking about this and you know that there are priorities you have that don't align or ways that you box Jesus out, areas you don't want to let him into, me too. I don't know if we ever graduate from this. I think it's a lifelong wrestling of trading his, my wishes for his wishes his dreams instead of my dreams and trusting, 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 trusting that his ideas are better. And why can we trust that? Because he's the same guy who instead of deciding to defeat the Romans, <laughs> decided to defeat sin. And in the same way that you and I would say to the disciples, oh, I don't want you to miss it. What he's doing is so much better than anything you could have dreamed. Can you trust? Can you trust? Can you open your eyes? I think Jesus is saying the same thing to us.
what I'm doing, what happens when you live by my priorities and walk in my ways and trade my vision instead of yours is better than anything you could have dreamed or hoped for or thought of or ever imagined. Dear one, can you trust me? Will you open your eyes? Will you pray with me? Jesus, you come into the world with this upside down way of looking at life and what it means to be a human. And so often it is different than anything we ever would have thought. And yet for those of us who walk alongside you for a while, it's easy to try and make you follow our plan (laughs) to fit you into our dreams instead of making your dreams our dreams to get comfortable and so for those of us who feel a little bit too comfortable in our spirituality who know that we are living by our own priorities (laughs) and expecting you to fit God would you open our eyes Would you help us to humbly confess? And would you work in our hearts to change us? Would you make us brave, brave enough to believe that even if it's uncomfortable, your way is better? For those of us who have seen the truth of who you are and maybe even feel disappointed in some ways by things you didn't do, by dreams you didn't fulfill, by ways that you didn't go with our plans, God, would you meet them? Would you speak to the fact that sometimes life doesn't end up how we thought and fill us with more trust that when life doesn't end up how we thought, you are still creating abundance? God, I thank you for these students. I thank you for their love for you, and I just pray that it would grow. Holy Spirit, would you work in us to change us and be with us as we go. Amen.